Welcome to a very special episode of You Pick, We Watch. Um, it's just me today, Regan. Um, Jess and I were both out on vacation, and I thought I would do an episode solo this week, because I got back first. <laughs> so, um, trying to put some content out on a Friday, keep the tradition going. Um, I'm going to talk about the 2019 film Midsommar. That, uh, <laughs> it, it was a film, let me tell you. So, this was created by the same writer and director who did Hereditary. And if that doesn't tell you that this is going to be <laughs> an intense movie, to say the least, then I don't think anything is going to foreshadow that quite as hard. Um, so that would be Ari Aster. He is, I guess, most well-known for both of those movies. He's a relatively newish director, I'd say. Um, his first feature-length film was Hereditary, so <laughs> starting off strong. Um, next he did Midsommar the year after Hereditary, he has a new movie that's now in post-production called Disappointment Boulevard, and I'm sure it's going to be <laughs> some sort of horror movie, but what excites me is that um, Michael Gandolfini, son of James Gandolfini, who played Tony Soprano, is going to be in it, as will Joaquin Phoenix. That is what, that's what excites me a lot for that. Again, I know nothing about it, but just the fact that Joaquin's in there already makes me want to watch it. So for the notable cast of Midsommar, I, um, I'm actually going to say that there's only one name, two names, that I super recognized. And that's going to be Florence Pugh, who was uh, Black Widow's sister, Yelena, in the Black Widow movie most recently. And Will Poulter, who has been in several movies, like um, We Are the Millers is probably where most people might recognize him from, but also recently he's been in the movie Detroit, which unfortunately I didn't see. Um, he is reportedly going to be Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, so that is going to be pretty exciting. So, the let's see the de the description for Midsommar is a couple travels to Scandinavia to visit a rural hometown's fabled Swedish Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. I'd say broad strokes that is pretty accurate. It does give me kind of Wicker Man vibes, um, but what it, it, it doesn't really touch on the fact that um, Florence Pugh, coming off of a family tragedy in this movie, um, her boyfriend, who is... he's really not set up to be likable. A lot of people in this movie are not set up to be likable, but... Um, Essentially, her boyfriend has a circle of college friends. I think they're all involved in anthropology or cultural anthropology, something like that. But one of their 
um, college friends is Swedish, and he's the one who, you know, invites them to, you know, come back to my village, you know, you can do, uh, write your thesis on the, you know, old folk traditions of rural Sweden. And so, the adventure begins. And, <laughs> goddamn. I will say that the movie was less gory than I was expecting for, like, a horror movie. It's more kind of cerebral and unsettling. <laughs> I, there is some gore in it, but the worst part, the, the parts that make you cringe the most are just very unsettling images. And it is a movie that has stuck with me pretty hard since I watched it um, several months ago, actually. So, when we're talking about awards, um, of course we have to bring up the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror, the Saturn Awards. This was actually nominated in, oh, this year, actually, 2021, for Best Horror Film. Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> You've got uh, nominations for... Um, the Bram Stoker Awards, which I've actually never heard of, um, and a bunch of indie awards, stuff like that. Um, this is a movie that was uh, produced by Studio A24, so they're really big into interesting original indie movies, which this pretty much fits that bill. Um, what sticks out to me also is that for a horror movie, most of the ones that I end up seeing usually fit around about an hour and a half. You know, they're generally on the shorter side. Uh, Midsommar is two and a half hours. And it's, I'll say, my experience with it is that it's an engrossing movie to the point, because you're trying to actively figure out what exactly is that unsettling feeling <laughs> that's making the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I'll say it is kind of a slow burn, and I think it works in its favor, because, you know, the tension between the characters ramps up slowly, and the predicament that they are slowly finding themselves in is... It's just very <laughs> subtle until it's not. And I love that. That was, I think, really well done. So, diving into a little more on this here. As far as trivia goes, I was able to find some, some pretty good stuff. So, the film originally was given a NC-17 rating by the MPAA, according to the director-writer, Ari Aster, actually around 30 minutes was cut from the final film, mainly due to content, which is crazy that there could be more um, unsettling content. Um, but the director's cut was released shortly after the theatrical run, which restores that footage, so... You know, at a runtime of already two and a half hours, that, that really is something. I can't, I can't really say which, I don't, I'm not sure that I watched the director's cut, but if, if I only watched a theatrical cut, that is a whole lot that was cut out of that movie. Most of the 
Swedish dialogue spoken by the village natives in the movie was actually deliberately not subtitled in order to create the sense of isolation for the audience and especially for the foreign visitors in the movie. And that was a brilliant choice because it makes you, I don't know, not mistrust, but inherently if you can't figure out what two people are saying and you know they're talking about you and then one of them is kind of agitated that easily you know sticks up a bunch of red flags but you don't know what they're saying so who who knows who knows what's about to happen to you um at this point (laughs) essentially right off the gate with the trivia here i am going to be getting into some spoilers that uh If you want to watch the movie first and come back and listen to this, I think you'll find the information very interesting. However, this might make you want to watch the movie. I'm kind of at that point in my life where I'm not as... um, I don't avoid spoilers as much as I once did for movies that I'm kind of on the fence about because if something sounds cool, I might actually get around to watching that movie sooner rather than later. So, without further ado, toward the end of the film, when Danny is lifted on the pedestal, um, Danny is Florence Pugh, uh, she's carried to the dinner table. A viewer can make out her sister's face in the trees with an exhaust tube in her mouth, which is how she killed herself at the beginning of the movie. The uh, family tragedy that kicks off this descent into madness. Um, Yeah, this movie does have a lot of hidden kind of foreshadowing and just details in the background that are interesting to kind of look for and probably will make it um, very interesting for repeat watches if you're not incredibly shook after watching it the first time. When Josh sneaks away to photograph pictures of the Ruby Rotter, the holy book of that village, uh, he thinks that he sees his friend Mark standing in the doorway of the temple, but it's actually, in fact, Ulf, the man who screamed at Mark for urinating on the ancestral tree, wearing Mark's skin, (laughs) which is confirmed by the screenplay. Earlier, Mark had asked Josh if he had thought that Ulf was going to kill him for urinating on the tree, It does happen off-screen, but that is exactly what happens. Throughout the film, Danny hallucinates the... Oh, there's actually a lot of psychedelic drug use in... Throughout the film, of just, you know, ritualistic, uh... You know, here, drink what's in this cup, don't ask questions, just, you know, down the hatch. So, throughout the film, Danny hallucinates the plant life, kind of interacting with her, growing into her... And that foreshadows her eventual decision to join the community at the end of the film. Super spoiler. Additionally, her interaction or growth with the plants gets more pronounced as the film progresses. Notable examples include the tuft of grass growing through her hand, the grass consuming her feet, and the vines on her throne reacting to the movement of her arms. Also, the flowers in her flower crown are sort of breathing in sync with her and in the final scene the dress and crown made entirely of flowers um, kind of engulfs her and signals her complete engulfment into the community a uh, 
<laughs> a rather funny way to describe this movie badly would be um, a woman suddenly left with nothing finds a community that actually supports her, <laughs> which is technically correct. Um, one thing I did find interesting was that um, after the sex scene uh, with Christian, who was wildly hallucinating on drugs, um, he was supposed to run away in the robe that he had entered the building in. The actor, Jack Raynor himself, uh, suggested that he run out completely naked to appear more vulnerable and thus appears fully nude when he's trying to escape, and he said that he was inspired by having recently watched The Last House on the Left from 1972. Like many films in the horror genre, female characters are disrobed, humiliated, and or assaulted before their demise, and he felt that it was due time that a male character be made to suffer similar indignity. So that's good on him. That's a very uh, interesting and, I think, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a choice that makes the movie better, and also more unsettling. In Danny's apartment, in the beginning of the film, there's actually a painting of a bear and a woman wearing a crown hanging over her bed. And this is exactly what I'm talking about when, we're, when I mentioned foreshadowing earlier. When I mentioned foreshadowing earlier, I was foreshadowing this moment of explaining the foreshadowing <laughs> parts of it in the movie. Uh, that painting is called Stackars Bas by Swedish painter John Bauer, famous for his art based on Swedish folklore and mythological creatures. Um, this ties in to when Christian is waiting to speak with Siv in her house, he studies a piece of wallpaper with the image of a burning bear on it. This actually foreshadows his eventual demise at the end of the film, uh, during a ritual in the yellow building when he's... Um, I actually don't want to spoil this last part, but it super foreshadows um, what is going to happen to him. Despite being the main characters, with the exception of cries and screams, neither Danny nor Christian actually speak in the last 25 minutes of the film. Uh, when I read that, trivia effect. I I was actually very surprised because I didn't notice that. that and I think that speaks to um, how well that was done. The opening mural um, which okay so that's talking about the opening mural when they get to the village and they're kind of looking around I think it's kind of a tapestry um, from left to right actually foreshadows the events of the entire film and provides clues pertaining to um, contrasting fates of Danny and Christian. Looking closely, it reveals Pella, I'm not exactly sure how to say that name, um, as the mastermind behind the, oh, their college friend, as the mastermind behind the invitation vi to visit his village of Harga. When the visitors reach the village, Connie and Simon examine a tapestry that shows a woman falling in love with a man, placing flowers under his pillow, and then hiding her pubic hair in his food, resulting in the man's falling in love with her and impregnating her. Um, this tapestry exactly forecasts what Maya will do to Christian before and during the May Queen's celebrations. 
and actually um, another part of that tapestry um, has to do with this next fact uh, which is during the meat pies uh, oh during the meal scene where meat pies are served Christian has a glass of reddish juice while everyone else has yellow juice an image earlier in the film suggests that this may be um, because his drink may have been spiked with menstrual blood. And again, there's a lot of just disturbing implications in this movie, which which I think heightens the overall quality of it. At the end of the film, the final shot is Danny smiling dementedly at the sight of the burning temple, the sacrifices inside. Her expression is almost an exact replica of the sun on the mural in her apartment at the beginning. Which, again, that's you can tell a lot of care went into writing this movie and making sure that things come full circle and if you foreshadow something, you eventually pay it off later or I think the writer-director is also at certain times just kind of flexing during the movie, dropping clues of what's going to happen or just cool things that provide a mirror image to contrast where you begin and end the story. During the sacrifice at the end of the film, uh, Ingmar and Ulf are given dew from the yew tree and told, feel no pain, or Ulf is told, feel no pain, and Ingmar is told, feel, feel no fear. As the building burns and the fire inches closer to them, Inger looks at Ulf with fear, and Ulf gazes back before the fire engulfs him and he starts to wail in pain. This could possibly indicate that at the last moment, both Ingmar and Ulf realize that everything they've been told is a lie, but they are unable to do anything about it and unfortunately die without being able to warn the others. When Christian is being prepared... Is prepared... Um, for sacrifice. The villagers put a bear suit similar to Nicolas Cage in The Wicker Man, 2006, um, another movie about a pagan cult involved with human sacrifices. Oddly enough, Cage's movie is a remake of The Wicker Man from 73 that is considered the basis for all the later movies about pagan cults with human sacrifices, um, including Midsommar. So, we have come to the end here, where I just have the uh, some box office facts here. Um, I don't know if this movie was banned anywhere. I'm not exactly sure where Jess pulls that information. But, um, I do have some box office um, little facts here. And... I believe... Oh, okay, you got me. I was stalling for time a little bit, trying to see if I could quickly find out if this was banned anywhere, because I forgot to look that up earlier. So, as far as I can tell... No idea. <laughs> um, concerning the box office, though... This movie was made on a budget of $9 million, 
which is pretty good for a horror movie. Um, it happened to gross $27.5 million in North America and another $20.4 million abroad for a total of, rounding up, we're just going to say $48 million. So I would say that's a very good return on investment there. That's That was a big success. And what I like is even though it was you know, financially a pretty big success for given the budget, there there's no intention for a sequel, which I really appreciate about that, because some things are just best left as one movie. Looking at you, Hangover. <laughs> so, now it is time we have come to the thumbs. So, given two down, two up, or anything in between, I will say that I give this movie two thumbs up, though disturbing. <laughs> the pacing never left me bored, although it is a long movie. What it lacks in actual, in traditional gore, it more than makes up for disturbing scenes and implications. It's beautifully shot and wonderfully acted. I'll say that Florence Pugh has a standout performance amongst everyone. She does a really good job portraying someone in grief, which let's let's just say um, is <laughs> most of the movie, I guess. But she does a very good job. Every everyone else still does a a very good job. The score is also really good for this movie. Um, mostly creepy or I guess menacing instrumentals with traditional Scandinavian instruments, notably the uh, hurdy-gurdy kind of hand-crank organ and the tegelharpa, which is sort of like a violin. Sort of. But you don't put it under your chin. <laughs> or, or like a smaller cello. Um, the sense of disorientation and unease is very well done, and like I said earlier, this is a movie that really stuck with me. So, like I said, for all those reasons, I am gonna give this movie two thumbs up. I would rewatch it. Um, <laughs> maybe not just yet, though. So, uh, if any of you wonderful listeners out there happen to watch this, uh, write in the uh, right to the podcast. Shoot us a message. Let me know what you think. I'd be very interested on someone else's take on this. If you were able to make it through the whole movie, or if you pulled the ripcord halfway through. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, next week, Jess and I are both going to be back discussing uh, Teen Witch. Um, remember, you can help select the next movie that goes on our list by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com. You can also message us and follow us through Facebook, Twitter, and Discord at youpickwewatch. Jess is usually hanging out in the Discord, and I fly by occasionally because I'm still not used to using it, <laughs> and I accidentally forget a lot. Uh, I'm Regan. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Author Regan Brooks. I just got back from the Outer Banks, so I posted uh, some cool pictures out there. Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, just give that a look. And otherwise, I will catch you guys later.